Greetings and welcome to the Animal Wellness Podcast, the official podcast of Animal Wellness Action. Hi, I'm your host, Joseph Grove. On this show, we talk about animals and the people who care about them and have the ability to improve their lives by influencing culture and supporting pro-animal laws and regulations. To stay up to date with all of our news and information, subscribe to this podcast, receive our free newsletters and more, visit animalwellnessaction.org. Uh, normally, we have a guest who comes to us live. We spend some time talking with Wayne and Marty. But because today, the day we're launching this, is Derby Day, celebrated around the world, but particularly in my hometown of Louisville, Kentucky, which Derby can't happen this year because of the coronavirus, I thought we'd do something a little fun and special for our Derby bereft Friends, and that is bring out an interview Marty and I did from a couple of years ago with the one and only Priscilla Presley. Uh, the interview you'll hear in a few minutes talks about, in it she does, the acquisition of horses, uh, her and Elvis getting them, uh, and how she slowly but fiercely eventually came to realize what was going on in terms of the Tennessee walking horse, Big Lick. Uh, Marty was uh, awesome enough to set that up. Uh, we talked a lot in the interview, which our listeners are going to hear in a minute, about the past act. And I know that that was something she was very involved with, you've been very involved with, and I know there are a couple of other major legislative efforts previously discussed on this show that are still in play. Kind of set us up, Marty, for the legislative background of our conversation with Priscilla. Yeah, thank you, Joe. I really appreciate it. And Priscilla is the terrific friend. I met her in 2012 or 2013, and she came to Washington, D.C., and we lobbied together. I actually worked in Congress then, and she was lobbying to pass the PAST Act in both the U.S. House and Senate. We met with the leadership, and uh, she came back last year in January of 2019 and helped us do that again and has been a terrific friend. I was emailing with her yesterday about the uh, new horse uh, carriage ban in Chicago she was really excited about. And we had an article in People Magazine on. So she's a tremendous advocate for the horses and has just been terrific. And a couple of years ago, we were talking, and uh, Joe and I had a great conversation with her that you're about to hear about the past act and what was going on at that time. So I'll give you a little bit of information on where we are today with the past act. And that is that H.R. 693, that's the House Pass Act, has now passed the U.S. House of Representatives for the first time in four Congresses that it's been introduced, and it passed last July in 2019 uh, by an overwhelming majority, 333 in support of it, every single Democrat, the majority of the Republicans, and um, that was really, really a big win for us. We even had a Republican from Tennessee um, that voted in support of the legislation. I was very shocked to see Tim Burchett 
And um, so we're thrilled that it got through the House of Representatives. It's been over in the Senate now. We have another Senate bill that's identical that's been introduced. And then, of course, the House passed bill has been referred to the Senate. And we haven't really seen any action, but we're hoping that the chairman of the Energy, I'm sorry, the Senate Commerce Committee, Roger Wicker, will uh, take some action and help us move that. He's from Mississippi. And we're hoping that we can do it and get it done in this Congress. So, Marty, uh, what does the PAST Act, what's that acronym stand for? Prevent All Soaring Tactics Act. And actually, the House bill, I failed to mention, was in this Congress named the U.S. Senator Joseph D. Tidings Memorial PAST Act uh, in honor of the late Senator Tidings, who authored the Horse Protection Act of 1970, was a great friend of ours as well. And Priscilla knew him as well. And he passed away um, in 2018. All right, very good. Uh, what else is happening for horses on the hill? Well, we're really seeing a lot of action. I'd say the next most important issue that we've really been working on and is more directly tied to Derby Day, of course, is bringing in to doping in American horse racing. And what we have going on there is a bill, H.R. 1754, the Horse Racing Integrity Act in the U.S. House of Representatives, that's led by your fellow Kentuckian, Mr. Andy Barr, from Lexington, Kentucky, and Mr. Paul Tonko from Saratoga, New York, two of the biggest horse racing districts in the country. And that legislation would bring an end to doping on race day across the board in the United States. It would create a uniform national standard for drug testing and a uniform set of rules across the country that would all be basically governed and managed by the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency USADA, which is the entity that caught Lance Armstrong, really sees, uh, oversees a lot of the drug testing in many sports, um, a private nonprofit entity. It's not a government agency. Many people get that confused because it's named the U.S. Anti-Doping Agency. So we're really gaining a lot of support. Um, what we've seen happen over the past few months is that um, 27 trainers, veterinarians, and other individuals in the racing industry back just before the coronavirus pandemic hit in the U.S., like the week before, were all indicted by the U.S. Attorney's Office in New York and the Department of Justice for basically rigging the system and transporting illegal drugs from other countries to this country and drugging these horses, violating federal and state laws. Since that time, I think there's been another 10 or so people indicted, um, many of them in the harness racing industry. So we're pushing close to 40 people that have been indicted in American horse racing today. And that's really given us some momentum. Um, we have now 252 co-sponsors in the U.S. House of Representatives. It takes 290 to avert the regular order process in Congress and move the legislation. So we only need 38 more to come on board. And we got um, recently uh, Mr. James Comer, who's also from Kentucky, that was a big gain, having been the former ag commissioner there. And we just got the Democrat uh, ag committee chairman, Colin Peterson, to co-sponsor. So we really have a lot of momentum. And I think we'll get to 290 co-sponsors soon and move that legislation. Uh, probably what's most notable is that in all this time, we've had the Jockey Club, Keeneland, the Breeders' Cup, the Prinkness, the Belmont, many other of the major entities in horse racing. But a few weeks ago, we got 
the well-renowned, um, legendary trainer Bob Baffert, who many people see on television with the silver hair and the nice shades, um, to endorse the legislation. So his endorsement of the bill really opened that up for a lot of other trainers and jockeys to endorse the legislation. And then subsequently, the Jockeys Guild, which is the entity that all of the actual riders, the jockeys that sit on their backs, uh, are a part of. So we're really building a lot of momentum and I'm really excited to see this bill moving and hopefully bring it into doping in the sport. There's hundreds of horses dying on American racetracks each year, and it's just a shame. Thanks, Marty. And I want to give a special thanks to USADA while we're on this podcast because I can now honestly say that I have won as many tours to France as Lance Armstrong. And I use that quite a bit in my pickup lines <laughs> at, at bars. So thank you, USADA, for helping me be able to say that truthfully. Uh, back to serious business here, Marty. Uh, how many deaths on racetracks of thoroughbreds are happening generally contrasted with this time last year? I mean, obviously, there aren't as many races, but I think there still are some races. Um, how is this inuring to the overall benefit of thoroughbreds during this shutdown season? Yeah, well, it is interesting. Of course, there are fewer thoroughbreds dying on the track this year because there are fewer horses running because of COVID-19. So we are seeing um, a good number of the tracks that have been closed, New York, um, some in California, some in Florida, but not all of them. And of course, um, we are seeing a number of deaths in the locations where horses are running. Um, I'll tell you one track that has really been terrible this year um, and has given a black eye to their state is Oakland Park in Hot Springs, Arkansas. So uh, the Arkansas Derby, um, which is a big race in the Razorback State, pretty well known. Many of the horses that have won the Kentucky Derby won the Arkansas Derby. Um, at that location um, in Oakland, they've had a number of deaths this year. We've been flagging that for the press, the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, and many other press outlets have covered that. So I'd say we're seeing more death there. And of course, at Santa Anita in California, which we've been talking about for the past few years, where there has been a multitude of deaths, uh, even amidst the COVID-19 outbreak. What I think is really interesting is that every other major sport in America has shut down baseball, football, basketball. I don't really watch sports, but whatever you can play, Tiger Woods is not playing golf. Um, but there's still some horse racing going on. And personally, I think, um, that's something that does not make the industry look very good from a health and safety standpoint for human beings, which only points as an indicator that the horses may not um, also be that well taken care of or their welfare and safety be thought of first either. Right. Um, one thing in Kentucky we're focused on is getting, of course, back to normal-ish, reopening. Churchill Downs, the backside, is going to be opening very soon, and uh, audience-free racing will resume. But you still have the jockeys, you still have the groomsmen, you still have so many other individuals violating what is currently the regimen regarding quarantine, going out, business as usual, just to run these animals around the track for, I'm assuming, for the benefit of online wagering and, and telecasting wherever they may be observed. Well, we're going to take you right now into the interview we did on January 8th, 
2015. That was coincidentally Elvis Presley's birthday. He would have been 83 years old that day, so Priscilla was super awesome to take some time with us on that occasion. I'll guide you through the questions we asked. They've been edited to make it a little briefer, a little more to the point, just to give you a sense for her heart for horses and how she came to have it. So here now, my interview with Marty and Priscilla Presley. Ms. Presley, uh, before we start talking about animals, horses in particular, I know we are recording this on Elvis's birthday. He would have been 83 years old today. What does that day mean for you? How do you celebrate it? Well, actually, at Graceland, we more or less celebrate his life. And we have many, many people from all over the world who still come and celebrate his life in, in, in droves, actually. Uh, signing cards, um, send flowers. And for me personally, it's a little bit different. I, I'll never forget, uh, you know, his birthday. Um, he's, we, he didn't like to celebrate his first birthday so much. So we would uh, obviously celebrate it with him. But he was a bit shy about having a celebration for his birthday. Well said, and I know I speak for millions upon millions of people around the world when I say, gosh, I wish you were still with us. It would have been awesome to watch the trajectory of his career the way we were able, for example, to watch uh, Johnny Cash uh, over the decades and how his music changed. I know you and Elvis shared a love of many things, horses included. Talk about how you and the King got into having horses and having that be a part of your life. Well, I was always a horse person. Even as a young child, I rode horses, and my big dream was to have a ranch with lots of horses and and a staff, of course, that could help. Um, my first horse, uh, Elvis, gave me my own horse, and that was a four-year-old quarter horse. It was for Christmas. It was a Christmas present. And Elvis, um, I used to ride every single day, and Elvis would watch me from his office window out in the backyard in the grounds of Graceland, and he saw that I was having a lot of fun, and I was riding alone. Um, he actually got another horse for a friend of mine so that we could ride together, but he himself was a little jealous <laughs> because um, he would see me riding and racing down the front of uh, Graceland, and that's when um, he became interested and he bought his, um, actually had all of us looking around for a, a golden palomino called Rising Sun, as he, he named it, Rising Sun. And uh, he uh, loved, loved riding horses. He loved showing off to his fans uh, his skills of riding horses. And uh, not only did he get one for himself, but he also got some for many members of the, the Memphis Mafia, I guess you would say. <laughs> so we were all riding and then uh, he eventually bought a ranch in Mississippi so that we had bigger grounds to ride on. That sounds lovely and romantic in all the right ways. Soon though, I believe you found a Tennessee walking horse that you guys both fell in love with uh, and got into owning a Tennessee walking horse much before you understood what it took to create the exaggerated gait that typifies Tennessee walking uh, showmanship the walk that is created by the application of caustics, uh, other types of pain-inducing measures, uh, chains, punishment if they put the hoof down at the wrong time. Uh, how did you move from quarter horses to Tennessee walking, and how did you learn about the ills of Tennessee walking? To be honest with you, the two of us were such novices on this, and um, we loved the ride of a quarter horse. They were fun, and, and I mean, that's that's really what we stuck to until Elvis saw, I guess you'd say, one of the most beautiful Tennessee walking horses uh, 
I mean, I, I don't know about the world, but certainly in the United States was carbon copy. Um, we happened to be driving down uh, a wonderful, uh, I can't remember the street, but uh, in Memphis or outside of Memphis and saw saw him and there was a sign out, Lennox Farms, and we wanted to see this particular horse. He was so beautiful, just out of curiosity, just to see him. And we uh, were invited to go up to his home and um, George Lennox was the owner, a very famous owner at that time, but he gave us a little preview of carbon copy and uh, we thought he was the most beautiful horse we've ever seen. Um, truly all black and, and had a wonderful gait uh, of which Elvis tried and loved the ride of the horse. And we were in awe um, over the beauty of it. And that's what prompted Elvis to want to get his own Tennessee walking horse. And we had no idea about the big lick. We had no idea that uh, anything was changed uh, on this particular horse, including speaking specifically about the gait. It was just a, a beautiful ride, a beautiful look, a beautiful a farm. And um, from that, Elvis pursued and found his own Tennessee walking horse, which he called Bear. But we would go back to the Lennox farm all the time to, to see Carbon Copy work out. Um, George was so proud of this horse, and we would tell stories uh, uh, together, and Elvis would tell about his, you know, his horse riding days way in the back when he actually fell off a horse during a movie and had a bit of a fear of them until until he started riding again. And because this horse, this Tennessee walking horse was uh, so beautiful in, in, um, in his gait. Now, our horses, uh, I don't believe, were soared. They still had the proper gait. And um, it wasn't until a few years ago, um, which started with the, um, the, the uh, celebration, which is in Shelbyville, Tennessee, and uh, that I learned about the big lick and about the gates and a little bit, quite a bit educated in it. In what years was all of this occurring? 1967, somewhere around there. That's when we actually bought um, a beautiful horse at that time called uh, Ebony's Double. And Ebony's Double was also a registered Tennessee walking horse that he bought actually a few years later, I believe, in 75. So I take it at this time, the methodology for the big lick, that exaggerated gait, was not well known, right? I mean, the stories about the caustics, the chains, the pain, uh, still had yet to really become commonly known. Correct. I, you know, the allegations were shocking to me. I was absolutely livid when I heard what that process was, you know, called a big lick. You know, a Tennessee walking horse have a natural gait beautiful natural gait and still have have uh, competition with that gait you know and then when i saw with uh, the video that was actually uh taken by the uh, humane society of the united states with jackie o'connell McConnell, McConnell, McConnell. yeah mcconnell what he was doing with these horses beating them um actually uh, going through the process of uh, making that horse uh, have the big lick um, I've never heard a horse cry or scream out or fight so much against, obviously, being tortured. It truly is torture. And for anyone to stand up and say that they are not or to be an advocate of this kind of torture, to, to I mean, yes, to the Tennessee walking horse, but to the lengths that they go through with, this, with these animals to get that big lick for a trophy 
or or winning a prize or just for ego is beyond my imagination. And I have been tried by others to be talked out of this feeling of by people in the Tennessee walking horse business, the celebration, you know, people who deny it, people say it doesn't happen. And it does 100% happen. I've had talks with Mike Inman, who is the CEO of the celebration, who try to convince me that, uh, you know, no, they didn't, it didn't happen. It's not that bad. They don't do that anymore. It's not legal. And how much his wife loved horses they have in the backyard, Tennessee walking horses. And, um, and if that's kind of, I, I don't know that kind of love. I mean, if I knew it had a horse that was um, trained uh, under the big lick, um, I just uh, don't, I don't understand it. It's not in my DNA. Joe, I, to just to jump in here for a minute and bring that up, that's a great point that you brought up about Mr. Inman you discussed with and the removal of the Celebration Challenge Trophy because Mike Inman is a guy who is there in Tennessee, but before he was the CEO of the Celebration, was a competitor and has multiple, multiple violations of the Horse Protection Act on his record. So what he's been trying to defend is something that's very well known and on the public record as actually being abuse that he has participated in. Well, that is true, and that's one of the reasons why when I found out what the big lick entailed on the abuse of these horses, that's when we asked for the Graceland uh, Challenge trophy to be brought back. You know, again, I was quite naive when we were offered to have um, uh, Ebony's double perform in the challenge, and we even had our our stable master ride the horse because she was uh, such a uh, an acclaimed rider herself. And she rode the horse at the uh, celebration, and we thought it was quite an honor. And they would give us a trophy of it. Basically, it was in memory of Elvis Presley. So we actually went to that. And then when I heard and learned about a few years later the big lick, then we asked, or I asked for the trophy to be brought back to uh, Graceland, that we did not want it to go from year to year to each winner. Marty, I'm going to turn it back to you for a minute. Uh, Priscilla mentioned a few minutes ago that her introduction and Elvis's introduction to Tennessee walking horses came on the farm of George Lennox. He was a Tennessee walker breeder, if I remember correctly, and um, tried to reform the industry. And there is some mystery concerning the man's demise that may have come at a cost of his efforts to reform that industry. George Lee Lennox, who was the owner of Carbon Copy, the Tennessee Walking Horse World Grand Champion, was someone who stood up in the late 1960s and 1970s against soaring and who wanted to make changes within the Tennessee Walking Horse industry. Unfortunately, uh, his life was brought to an end by many believe that that happened as a result of his uh, work to try to end soaring. And uh, the finger was pointed then at the Dixie Mafia there in the southeast who uh, was well known for being a part of the pro-soaring coalition and did not want to stop soaring, wanted to, in fact, keep soaring alive and perpetuate it for many years. So uh, someone who stood up for the industry uh, 40 years ago and tried to help solve the problems that we are still trying to solve today was harmed. I'd like to ask Priscilla, you know, uh, what your thoughts are in reaction to that is because you did meet Mr. Lennox and he's someone who's a kind man that mm. um, you knew and uh, were engaged with. Absolutely. He was a kind man and, and and had a big heart and he had a love of horses. I mean, what thing, what he recognized, I believe, is that the Tennessee walking horse is extremely docile and calm and has such a soothing temperament and uh, had a smooth, sound gait. I think 
him realizing, you know, what was going on behind the scenes and not wanting to be a part of it was very much his character. And I think he was trying to keep that, you know, keep them intact and uh, kept that, you know, what they could do naturally beautiful. Ms. Presley, you are a well-known, very active animal advocate. Uh, Has any such threat or promise of harm accrued to you as a result of your pro-animal welfare activities? You know, honestly, Joe, I have not had any. I mean, I've been to, I've been, I lobbied with um, with Marty and, he, of course, being with the Humane Society of the United States. I have been to Washington. I have talked to senators, representatives, uh, you know, in plea of please, you know, passing, uh, to sign up and co-sponsor for the passing of the past act. Um, I haven't had any repercussions. I hope I don't. If anything does happen to me, like it did to George Lennox, please, please check in on all these people. One final question before we wrap up, Ms. Presley. You obviously are a very famous woman, not only because of your marriage to Elvis Presley, but because of your own acting career and your many other activities. You could be a voice for change anywhere. Why animals? Listen, I'm an advocate for animals and treating and treating them civil. I'm, you know, even with the pit bulls, um, even with, you know, the, the, what goes on behind the scenes, it, it is illegal to um, have uh, pit bulls fight, but I do know of other areas what's called trunking, and that's where they put the uh, pit bulls in a trunk and have them fight till death. That is going on in the South right now. So, you know, I want to make this, uh, I, I want to voice, I'd have a voice in these areas. You know, I don't believe that animals were here on this earth to entertain us in such ways. This is not entertainment. This is brutal, cruel, and uncivilized. And I, um, whenever I find out, I mean, listen, I, I rescue, you know, all my animals and, and they are amazing creatures. And I just, you know, we just need to put civility back into our country and be leaders in this area. And I am hoping, I am hoping that we can get this past, uh, past and beyond this so we can now take over and handle other things as well in this area of brutality. We have to somehow take responsibility. We are their voices they cannot call out. They can scream, they can bark, uh, they can, you know, be in pain. But if we don't do something, you know, to help these as their uh, caretakers, uh, they need our help. They all need our help. You know, there's a lot of cruelty out there. And um, when you start learning about it, that's when you have to start taking uh, responsibility for it. And that was part of our interview with Priscilla Presley, recorded January 8th, 2018. We're grateful for Ms. Presley, her activity, and we hope to have her on our show again soon. Thank you so much for listening to the Animal Wellness Podcast. I've been your host, Joseph Grove. Be sure to visit animalwellnessaction.org to find out about all of our legislative efforts, subscribe to our newsletters, and link up with our social media channels. Want to subscribe to this podcast? Go to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, and we'll be back real soon with another episode of the Animal Wellness Podcast. 